0: How many of you belong to some kind of club or have a a membership to something? Anybody? got a a membership or a club that you're a part of or something like that? I remember as a kid, one of uh, kind of my favorite clubs that I was a part of, I was a part of the Pittsburgh Trailblazers, my local 4-H club, right? Uh, Another favorite club, nobody be jealous, but dad and I were members of the Indianapolis Racing Pigeons Club. Anybody else a member of that club? Don't be jealous. Very few can be as cool as Dad and I, all right? <laughs> Clubs, right? Generally, we like having membership to things, like kind of being in a part of the in crowd or a club like that, especially when it associates us with people that we want to be like or or maybe associates us with an activity that we think might be little socially advantageous. You know, right? You can be a member of a gym because you want to focus on physical fitness. You can be a a member of a service club like the Rotary or the Lions Club because you want to help look after needs in a community. You can be a member of AAA so that way all of your vehicular needs can be covered. Or you can be a member of Costco. So every need in life can be covered in bulk, right? (laughs) Memberships. Memberships are a common part of life. However, tragically, too often we fall into the trap of thinking of church as some kind of club or service to be a member of. Either something we pay a membership for, or a place we go to for spiritual exercise when we need it. This is a false way of thinking about and viewing the church. It leads us to see the church as as nothing more than a building, nothing more as spiritual services to be provided, or nothing more than some social club. And that's not what the Bible has to say about the church. Here's how the, church, how the Bible speaks of the church. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.27 tells us, now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. So the church then is, is more than a club that we can join and cancel our membership whenever we want. Just like your hand can't up and decide, it it no longer wants to be a part of the rest of your body. That's what applies here to the individual believer and the church. The church is a people, the church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 25 says that the church, it says this about the church, that that Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. It goes on to make the analogy of the church like, like the bride of Christ and he the groom waiting at the end of the aisle for her and this image is echoed in revelation 19:7 when it says let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready so pulling all of these things together we realize we must recognize that the people, the Holy Spirit, have called together by faith in Jesus Christ is a group of people unlike any other group that meet together. Their bond is stronger than some common interest or service project. Their purpose is higher than fitness or well-being. And their credentials are stronger than some plastic card or username and password that your whole family shares. Right, the the bond of the church is Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is the glory of God the Father. And the credentials of the church confirming this bond and purpose is the Holy Spirit. Church is a people. And here in Acts 2, 42 through 47 that Sandy just read for us, you will see the first record of this people coming together because of their common purpose, to grow in their purpose, to be used by the Holy Spirit In this passage, we find a description for the things that they do as a people. Now, it's important to note that this is not an exhaustive list. In fact, as we continue through our study in the book of Acts over the next several months, we're going to discover more and more details about how the church functions. But here, in this passage, we find four general characteristics Four general characteristics for how the church should function as a people. First, the church is a people learning. The church is a people learning. Second, the church is a people sharing. A people sharing. Third, the church is a people worshiping. A people worshiping. And lastly, The church is a people on mission. Now, as we look at each of these four characteristics detailed here in the passage, I do wanna give you a realistic look or view, an accurate picture. This is how we should act, and this is how the early church initially acted, but the church is still a group of sinful people. And so, too often, People act contrary to the saving grace that has brought us together. And this is why many of us have had moments when these characteristics weren't true to us or by us. Let me begin with the first one. The church is a people learning. A people learning. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And verse 47 tells us that, and day by day, attending the temple together, right? Learning. Learning is a central part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Look no further than just the ministry of Jesus himself. He went to synagogues and into the temple, doing what? Teaching the scriptures. The big moments of his ministry were him teaching people on the mountaintop and along the shoreline. They called him rabbi, a term of endearment given only to respected teachers. His last command, his his great commission to all of his followers was, go, make disciples, teaching them. To observe all that I have commanded. And the apostles, who were Jesus' closest disciples, took this command seriously. They took it seriously when they began to gather the people of Jesus together. This is why, from the beginning, the church has been a people learning. A people eager to grow in their knowledge of the scriptures and of their creator and savior. Colossians 3.16 will tell the church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Followers of Jesus love knowledge. And they're eager to grow in understanding and this comes through the teaching from those God has set aside to teach. Now, Colossians makes it clear that as followers of Jesus, we should be teaching one another, all of us. And we covered this in our past summer series through the one and others. And while that deals with the more informal discipleship teaching, this passage is very clear in describing a teaching from the apostles. A formal instruction, most likely based on their own lessons with Jesus. Wow, what a, what a seminary class, right? Three years of walking with the word of God himself. That'd be a much better, you know, sermon coming out of that. Right? And, you, and you see this. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have these books to, to unpack and to exegete. So what did they do? They drew on the experiences they had with Jesus. They taught the very lessons that he had taught them for three years. You can imagine them recounting those amazing lessons that Jesus gave them, that 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, right? All of those lessons where he's tying together all of the Old Testament and how it points to himself. We know they drew on that because you can look at the sermons here in Acts. The one from Peter that we've been looking at the past few weeks is tying together all of these themes from the Old Testament and showing us, look, they point to Jesus. Learning is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. It's something that that we should enjoy. It's something that we we should truly celebrate. 1 Peter 2 says it like this. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Wanting to grow deeper in your understanding of Jesus and his word is a mark of spiritual maturity. But just the same, A faith in Jesus that is hostile to teaching, hostile towards learning, is a sign of immaturity. Now, for some reason, there is is an anti-intellectualism in many corners of Christianity that tries to celebrate a plainness or an apathy toward learning the deep doctrinal truths of Scripture. And, And we should be cautious about that. We should look for ways to learn more about Scripture, not less. Right? This is why our, our Sunday evenings, our deep dives into books of the Bible, tonight we're gonna finish up a several months-long study through 1st and 2 Samuel. This is why in the vine, our kids are using a, a song written by Deacon Nate to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And each week they're memorizing Scripture and what it means. This is why every Sunday when you come here, no matter who stands behind this pulpit, you're gonna hear the Bible preached. Not our political commentary and not our faith-based motivational speech to help you live your best life now. No. In all areas, we devote ourselves to the teaching of the word of God, the Bible, because it, it is inerrant, it is authoritative, and it is sufficient for all things. The church is a people learning, and I urge you to continually devote yourself to the teaching of scriptures. We pastors and teachers in the church, are, we're, we're tasked with making the Bible accessible and understandable. We are not here to share our, our thoughts or opinions, cute stories to make you feel good or, or give you some tweetable wisdom of our own. Continually, we look to point you to scripture, to point you to Jesus. Are you regularly committing yourself to sit under teaching the various teachings of the Bible? And I'm not talking about random podcasts here. I'm talking about within the church, alongside of fellow followers of Jesus Christ, so that we can rub shoulders as we learn together. The church is a people a people learning. Now, I cautioned that a church can maybe become hostile toward learning, but just the same, a church can actually become too concerned with learning, that they forget there are other characteristics to being a people, right? They're focused. Their, their, their focus is all about learning and, and growing and knowledge, They lose sight that the the church isn't all about Bible studies and study Bibles, right? Yes, we are to be a people who are learning, but we also need to turn those affections outward, and that is why we come to the second characteristic of the church. The second characteristic is the church is a people sharing, a people sharing, the examples laid out by this passage is that the church shared from every aspect of their life they fellowshiped by sharing meals by praying together they had all things in common but mostly their faith in jesus and it spread out from there as verse 45 says they they even went as far as to sell off some of their possessions and belongings as in some kind of like, I don't know, first century garage sale or Facebook marketplace. You know, and they, and they take what they earn and they use it to help each other's needs. Isn't that amazing? They didn't wait around until they had the funds to then help the need. They saw the need and made the funds available, necessary to help the need. And they knew what those needs were because because they did life together. They were in each other's homes on a regular basis. Fellowship wasn't just an activity based on uh, associating and conversation and amusement. Fellowship cost something. There was a risk to gather together. And often what brought them together was the need for each other because they were being pushed away from all other relationships in their life. Fellowship was an opportunity to share, to share life. In fact, in this passage, we see the usage of fellowship for the first time. An important Greek word that will go to define the church in the rest of the New Testament, koinea. It's used 19 times in the New Testament to communicate the people of Jesus sharing and participating in each other's life with an intentional fellowship, not just with each other, but in Jesus Christ. A fellowship that cost. A fellowship that cost everyone something, but in which no one gave expecting to receive Anything in return, and and this practice wasn't some kind of a emotional high after Pentecost. All right, it's not like uh, that post summer camp affection where you just love everybody in your cabin and you're going to be writing letters or texting. We wrote letters in my day, right? This idea continued as people. Continue to share all throughout the New Testament is a defining characteristic of the church. The idea continues. Even you, you look at Hebrews 13:16, which says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In fact, 1 John 1 goes as far as to connect your willingness to fellowship with one another to your understanding of the gospel. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, some have read verse 45, right? That they're selling off possessions and belongings and they begin to interpret this as somehow we see a, some type of Christian hippie commune starting here, right? This was not like the, uh, an early version of some communist community. That, that's not what we see here. The passage and the others like it in the New Testament don't tell us that they, they sold off everything and purposely lived in poverty with each other or that they shared absolutely everything Rather, what it was is that they took what they had, what they could, and shared it to care for the needs of others. It's actually quite simple and straightforward. This idea of the church sharing is something that, honestly, I have learned mostly from all of you. Right? The, the way clothes and food just pour into the storehouse on a regular basis. How when someone in our church is in need, you rally around them and provide meals and make sure they don't go hungry. The way all of you do your part and and care for our widows and mow lawns and take take care of different errands for them. I I was so moved over this past year how many times us pastors heard something like this where, where somebody would come to us and say, if there is anyone who has a financial need, let me know. I want to help out. You know, if so, we had more people willing and ready to help financially than we had people that we knew of that had financial need. What an amazing people to share all that God has given us. That is fellowship. Not just sharing dinner together, but sharing our life, sharing all that God has given us to take care of each other. It's been amazing to even see how all around the world, followers of Jesus Christ fellowship, that this is a characteristic that runs through churches, no matter your culture, no matter how much financially you have in the bank, and how each culture, you just kind of see it a little bit differently. But no matter where you go, the church is always giving those gifts of encouragement when someone is burdened with troubles in life. They include gathering around somebody who's in crisis and just helping carry them through, bearing one another's burdens, sharing the finances or the resources to lend a hand when someone's in a rough spot. That's the people of God sharing. If you are a sharing person, please continue to do so. If you are struggling to let go, you're struggling to share, may I remind you what Jesus taught us in John 3, that all that we have under heaven is given to us by God the Father. It's really not your stuff to give in the first place. So share it, because God shared it with you. Encourage someone who is struggling by just giving a little gift. Help out by donating some food. Gather a group and lift up someone who's in crisis. Share the resources that God has given you. A sharing person is a person who is well aware that everything they have is God's in the first place. They are a person who is focused on God and not themselves. Which really brings us to our third characteristic. The church is a people worshiping. A people worshiping. Right, a people worshiping is those who are turning their affections and attention towards God Almighty. Now, from the outset, let me just draw your attention to something here in this text. A really important omission. If you look at this first account of the church gathering, there is actually no report of singing or music. Right? We have verse 42 where it says that they gather for the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right? The breaking of bread is speaking of the Lord's Supper, communion, a dedicated time of reflecting on the redemptive work of Jesus. Prayers are the, the corporate conversation with God, the time to exalt and glorify who he is. And Verse 47 gives us this this general description of their life, that they were praising God. What a wonderful descriptor of your life, a life praising God. We too often make the mistake to directly connect worship with songs of praise as if somehow they are synonymous Now, Ephesians 5.19 does tell us that we need to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and and making melody to the Lord with your heart. While singing songs and praise, it's, it's an important part of the life of a church, it is not the only form of worship. What we see here in Acts 2 is a general demeanor of worship. A praise by the early believers. Remember, most of them are new believers, seeing life through the eyes of faith for the first time. So they are amazed when they, when they continually discover God's goodness and provision in everything, right? They're like my two-year-old son, Lewis, at the Children's Museum, when he realizes everything's for him. He can touch everything, every button. He can throw the balls wherever he wants. Everything is at his level without any restrictions. He's playing in the water and he's yelling at me, daddy, daddy, as he discovers all of these new cool stuff all around him. That's a life of worship. The church is a people worshiping because we have the joy and bliss to see all that God has done and is doing all around us. That is worship. To run through life, touching all that God has created and enjoying it to the fullest. We discover how, how the Holy Spirit is working in these miraculous, intricate ways. And it's exciting. It fills us with eagerness to see what is he going to do next? Verse 43 describes it this way. He says that awe came upon every soul. And wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came upon every soul. This is an awe that is, that is fear and, and reverence felt deep within yourself as a person when you are faced with that powerful and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And while we may see different miracles today than from the early church, we still witness the incredible acts of the Holy Spirit here today. Are you in awe of what God is doing around you? Is your life marked by praise for God and all that he has done and continues to do through you? Or, or believer, have you lost that sense of awe and wonder? Maybe you're more like a teenager at the Children's Museum. Oh, this is, oh, this is for kids. <sighs> Rolling their eyes. Right? Maybe after years and years of coming to church services, hearing someone like me go on and on about Jesus you've lost your delight in the gospel. Maybe, may you not lose that delight. May you always delight and enjoy the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save me and continues to make me more like him worship should never lose sight of that, that childlike faith that first made us look on God in awe and wonder in all that he is doing around us. You know what's interesting here is that, is that we begin to see how these, these different characteristics begin to feed into each other as we learn more and more from the teachings of Scripture, then we should be more and more in awe of who God is and worship Him. The more and more that we share all that God has given each and every one of us and, and we watch how the Holy Spirit moves the church to care for one another, the more and more we should wonder at His grace and worship. And the more... We worship an almighty, caring God, the more we will want to share what we have been given. And the more we will want to to learn about who he is. A life of worship cultivates an appetite to learn more about God. Having the the praise of God constantly on our lips keeps our hand outstretched with generosity. I think we can all grow in this area of worship. May we worship God more than just a song, more than just a few minutes on Sunday, but with every word and every action of every day throughout the week. May we live in awe and wonder seeing all that god is doing in this world around us and these characteristics continue to feed into each other more and more as we come to our final point our final characteristic and you can see an outward progression We don't learn, share, or worship just to keep it to ourselves. These three do sustain our life together as a church, but what do they sustain us for? They sustain us for the work of making Jesus known to the world around us. They sustain us for mission. The fourth and final characteristic is that the church is a people on mission, A people on mission. Come on, guys, you should have seen this point coming. If not, just look at the giant banners behind me. Church on mission, right? After all, this is what Jesus said in John 13, 34. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what did this look like in Acts 2? Well, we can see from verse 47 that after learning, after sharing, after worshiping, they had favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is what is so amazing about mission. This is what's so incredible. It's the Holy Spirit who does the heavy lifting. That's why it's easy to go out and be on mission because it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the work through you. He is the one who is winning souls. It is the Holy Spirit who is adding numbers to the church. Our responsibility is is to be obedient to the opportunities he gives us. The results are always in his hands. And the church in Acts was obedient and took the opportunities given to them. Right? Acts 1 and 2 is, is just setting the stage, laying those themes out there for us, giving us some key figures. Then... As we're going to learn over the next few months, it just begins to swell with activity from there, beginning in Acts chapter 3. As the gospel just begins to spread outward with with each ripple going further and further, the mission picks up momentum. And we quickly begin to feel the, the velocity of the Holy Spirit exhilarating the church to the ends of the earth that we are still witnessing today. As the church, followers of Jesus, we have a greater purpose. The gospel sets us apart to glorify God, to make much of Jesus, to make him known, right? The gospel is not some brief alert in our life that we just swipe away and continue on with whatever we're doing, no. The gospel is our one and only rallying cry for life. The church is on mission to make Jesus known in our lives and known by all of those around us. And it's the Holy Spirit who does this amazing work by, by using the redeemed to reveal redemption to those who are still lost. The thrust created by a people on mission is what lifts us up and keeps the church airborne. Otherwise, we can just drift. We can become a church that is inward focused on teaching strong doctrine but never apply it. Without mission, we become a church so focused on caring for the physical needs that we never stop to address the eternally urgent spiritual needs. If we are not on mission, we worship ourselves by only praising what God has done for me and thankful for all that God has given me instead of exalting him in who he is. You may have heard the saying, use it or lose it, right? I've often heard this said about those who are retiring from their careers, right? That they need to keep working at something. And we've seen this, right? Those who retire and then just sit down in front of a TV, they change, but not for the better, right? Their health seems to fail quicker than those who are staying busy. Their attitude sours while others enjoy life, And then there's those who who do just keep working, find a a renewed purpose at something new, right? It it brings them kind of a, a new life, a new step in life, a renewed sense of purpose and joy. Let me tell you this, when God saves us, we don't retire from the world just to sit down off to the side. Unfortunately, many professing Christians try to do this. They just sit there and watch TV and go, wow, look at the world. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Guess what? Sadly, the world is going to hell. And we know the saving grace to save them. God did not save us just to put us aside. He saves us and puts us on mission and says, get out there. Tell people. Turn off whatever that is that is just helping you soak and sour and and get in there with a a new life, with a renewed purpose to be used by the Holy Spirit to add to the church day by day those who are being saved. Listen. Listen. We delight in the gospel. We grow through relationships so that we can serve our community and be sent into the world. Then, as we're on mission in the world, you know what, our, our desire for the gospel, it grows more and more. We have it. oh, we see the direct application more and more and we're learning to delight in who God is and and what he's done. When we're on mission in the world, our need to grow through relationships becomes necessary. We share all that we have with each other because we need it. We need to band together. A people on mission see the many wonders and signs and the acts of God. And they become more and more a people worshiping with all of their lives. Right? This is what God has done for us. He is a God on mission who came to us, brings us to himself so that we can enjoy him, worship him. And then he shares all of the blessings of heaven with us. And he says, I want you to know me and know me deeply. Here, here's my word. Learn all that you can. I heard a pastor put it this way. Where the spirit reigns, believers relate to the word. Where the spirit reigns, believers relate to each other. Where the spirit reigns, believers relate to God. Where the spirit reigns, believers relate to the world. Did you feel that? Learning, sharing, worshiping, mission. The church is a people and not just some random group of people or some club that you can change your membership whenever it's inconvenient to you. The church is a people learning and sharing and worshiping together so that we can be set on mission together. This past year, this is where as pastor, I'm going to get into the meddling here a little bit. This past year, many of us used COVID as an excuse. We enjoyed it a little too much to run and hide from the grace of God. It's time to stop sitting in front of your TV and reconnect with people. Come, learn with each other. Reconnect to your Sunday school school class, a, a small group, get together with people, study God's word. Maybe it's time you join this church. We've got membership classes starting next month. Join us on mission. For some of you, 2020 revealed a lot of personal idols that you had about what you wanted the church to be, your preferences, and you've lost the joy God wants you to find in his people. Stop souring and rediscover the awe and wonder of who God is and praise him with each other. Now, others of you, God used the distance away to actually help you realize more than ever that you need the church. Why you need to learn together, share with each other, and worship God shoulder to shoulder. And you did everything you could to connect via Zoom or different creative connections. May you continue that as the years go forward may we learn from you and together let's remember the mission before us we are a people bonded by redeeming love of Jesus Christ we are a people purposed to glorify God the Father we are a people moved by the holy spirit to be on mission. May we use what we've learned, share what God has given us, and worship him as we move outward on mission to make much of Jesus in our everyday lives. Pray with me now. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would work now in all of our hearts as you have been stirring my heart over these past few weeks in this passage. That we would see how amazing you are and how amazing your people are. may we come together as the church, a people, not just a a gathering on Sundays, but throughout the week, learning with each other, sharing with each other, worshiping you side by side, ultimately to be on mission together to make you known, Father. I pray for this time now as we have a, moment of quiet reflection and then a time of remembrance and communion. Lord, I pray that you would use this communion time for those who know Jesus as their savior to stir their hearts to you, God, to help them remember what it's like to be that two-year-old running around pushing all the buttons that you've made to enjoy you and all that you've created, Lord. Stir our hearts to you. Stir our hearts to our Savior, Jesus. Do your work in us now.